Thank you. I want, I want to thank our leaders here in the church. Uh, first off today, um, we have great leaders that, uh, you know, stand up and do things for the church. They coordinate things together. And I've been gone for several weeks this summer on youth trips and men on fire and things like that. And things still go on here at church and they, they go well. So I appreciate you leaders who take charge of that. And uh, thank you, Noah, for being the leader of our men on fire trip. You coordinated this. Um, trip and put it together. Um, did a great job at that. We had an excellent time, and I'm sure that you guys will hear more about that in coming sermons and uh, from the other men that will be talking to you. So before we pray, I want to tell you that we're going to be working out of Acts today, Acts chapter 17, to continue on our series. Um, Let's bow in prayer before we get started. Uh, Father God, I thank you for the work that you do in us and through us. And Lord, I ask that you would come and meet us here, Lord. We know that you will. God, we pray that you would uh, encourage us and motivate us to accept your word for what it is, the truth, the life-giving truth. Lord, that you would help us, uh, equip us, and help us to be bold to share it with the others on the outside of this place right here, right now. Lord Jesus, we devote this time and our hearts to you. In your son's name, we pray, amen. Well, I want you to imagine that you are an insurance salesman. And imagine that you are an honest one. One that genuinely cares about the people that you sell insurance to. You really care about folks' well-being. And imagine that uh, you sell medical insurance, and this medical insurance will help all the folks who will become injured. And the injury is inevitable. Everyone will become injured very badly, and they will face certain death unless they have the insurance that you sell. And then imagine that you walk into a place, into a city, and there's a lot of folks there that are facing the inevitable injury that will lead to certain death, but no one has insurance. No one has the insurance. And not only do they not have the insurance that you sell, but they are taking their money that they could buy the insurance with, and they're burning it in random trash barrels all throughout the city. The money that they could be using to buy the insurance that will save their lives. You sell the insurance that will save them. You know what will save them. But what you see, how does it make you feel? How does it make you feel? You walk into a place and all the folks need saved, but they don't have what they need to get saved with. And they're throwing away what they could use for salvation. How would that make you feel? My guess is you would be troubled. 
Well, in our scripture today, Paul is deeply troubled by all the idols that he is seeing. Acts chapter 17, verse, <clears throat> verse 16. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. These idols, <clears throat> they're everywhere. Paul knows what will save these folks in this town, in this place, in Athens. He knows what will save them from eternal death. He knows what will ensure their eternal salvation, their eternal life. But they don't know. They don't know about what will ensure their eternal life. And instead of putting their faith in the one God who can actually save them, they're burning their lives away by worshiping these uh, foolish little idols that they themselves are making. And so, Paul does something about it. He does something. Paul genuinely cares about these people and he wants them to be saved in the name of Jesus. And so he speaks to them about it. He speaks to them. Let me tell you a little bit about the folks that he is about to speak to. What kind of people these are. Before I read what he tells them, let's discuss these folks. He is speaking here to the high council. Because they've invited him to talk with them. They've heard a little bit about what he has to say. And they think that's kind of uh, silly. Those are weird words. We don't understand them. But the people on this council are philosophers. They are thinkers and talkers. And so they're interested to hear new ideas And they want Paul to come and speak to them. They invite him to this council. And they take pride in knowing things. Paul appears to know something. And they want to find out what it's all about. Now among these philosophers, there are the Epicureans. Their self-identified purpose in life is to make themselves happy. To find and secure happiness. Kind of like an atheist. Be happy now while you live. And when you're dead, well, it's over. Now I know the text here that we're about to get into is talking about idols and uh, different gods that they worship. And you say, atheists, they don't believe in God or, or gods... And, but is that really the truth? Do atheists really not believe in gods? It seems like maybe they believe in themselves, in their feelings. These folks are philosophers. They like the ideas. And how about the Stoics? Uh, the scripture says that there are also Stoics present and their purpose and goal in life was to live by reason and virtues, by conquering their emotions. Conquering emotion. These are the people who feel like they are good people. 
I'm a good person. I don't need God. And so Paul is speaking to these people, and he's really clever. Let's start in Acts chapter 17, verses 17 through 23. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the high council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I know that you are very religious in every way, for I, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, one of your altars, had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. Interesting. An unknown God. Like, when you read this, you can imagine all the different little idols, probably a bunch of them, And just in case, just in case they forgot one God, they don't want one God to be angry. Um, They don't want one to have wrath against them. Or, Or just in case there's one God out there that they forgot that could do something good for them, they'll make an unknown God idol just for him. Paul, man, he's a clever dude. So he sees this just in case idol to the unknown God. And he says, you are correct. There is one that you have forgot. There is one God that you are not taking into consideration and it's a different kind of God altogether. See, Paul takes what's around him, what means something to the people, And he applies it to them directly in sharing the word of God and bringing Jesus to them. Unknown God. This is his way in. So, talking about these people who worship these idols, it would appear that they worship in ignorance. If you're going to worship an unknown God, a God that you don't know, you're obviously saying, I don't know this God, but I will, I will worship whatever this idol represents. Now, I just think if, you, if you're going to devote your time to something, if you're going to sit around talking about something, uh, worshiping something, then I think that you had better know it. Would you agree? I think that you had better know what it is that you 
are worshiping and the truth is it better be the one true God if you're going to worship it. And I suggest, I suggest that you not just worship God because of who God is, but I suggest that you know Him. Truth is that we have no excuse for not knowing God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppresses the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. First part of this text says that they suppress the truth suppress it they can see the truth they have no excuse for not knowing God God wants us to know him God wants us to have a relationship with him and we've no excuse to not know him Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 This is what the Lord says, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates the unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. God wants us to know him. So Paul is addressing these folks. And at this point, he introduces them to God. He catches their attention. He talks about the idols that they have set up and made, the idols that they spend time focusing on, and draws out their attention by saying this unknown God, which maybe they would like to know, the God that that unknown idol represents, because they don't know, and they're the ones who made it, and Paul is using it to apply some leverage So he introduces the one true God to them in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 31. Paul says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath, to everything and he satisfies every need from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth 
He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God perhaps and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and some of your own poets have said we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn from him, turn to him. For he has set a day for judgment, judging the whole world with justice by the man he has appointed and proved to everyone who this is, raising him from the dead. In these scriptures that Paul preached to these fellows, we can see some of the things about God that prove to us how powerful and mighty and loving he is. It points out that he is the creator, he is the redeemer, he is self-sufficient, omnipotent, he is sovereign, he is good, he is merciful, and he is just. He tells them who God is, hoping that they will come to know him. Now, here's what knowing God looks like. It looks like a relationship. Jesus gives understanding so that we can know God. We are told about this in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. So we have Jesus so that we can have the understanding and know the true God. And you know, knowing God gives us eternal life. John chapter 17 verse 3 tells us this, and this is the way to heaven, or this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one that you sent to earth. And then Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 says that everything, yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing God is so important that everything else can be considered worthless. Knowing God, my friends, is so Important. So how do we get to know God? How do we do it? Well, how do you get to know your neighbor? How do you get to know your co-worker that you don't ever talk to? You take a step. You take a step in their direction. Most things in life actually require steps to get started. Young men and young women, you're finding this out as you grow. 
that to do something worthwhile, you must take a step towards that direction. Young men, uh, it takes steps to become mature and become wise, and you have to decide against your natural nature of wanting to be a rascal boy. Have to take steps. Young women, you also have to take steps. You're used to uh, getting the attention of people, of your folks, and as you grow older, you realize that you have to take steps to manage that so that you're not getting attention in the wrong kind of way. You have to step out of your comfort zone. What Brant said when he was speaking to us, you have to step out and do something that is not comfortable. And the most important step that anyone can take is to know God. Put your faith in Him. This is so important. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Jesus says, During the judgment time, when judgment comes, He says, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is how important knowing God is. The most important step, again, is to know God and put your faith in Him. But it's not always easy. It's not always easy. So you know that we just climbed a mountain, the men on the fire group, and that was not easy to climb the tallest mountain in Colorado, the second tallest in the 48 states. And we took one step and then another step, and then three million more steps to get to the top of this mountain. And it wasn't easy. But we did it, and the amazing part of God's glory when we was able to look down below is just mind-blowing. And then, and then the next day, we got up, and we got to go fishing some more of God's wonderful blessing. We caught fish, trout there in, in, a, in a stream at maybe 10,000 feet. Now, I was really excited about fishing. And uh, my fishing mentor, Joseph, had told me how to catch fish. And so there was a lot of expectation on me when I went there. And I bought the $18 license, and I bought even uh, some extra tackle, you know, another $10 or so to help me out. And I really bad wanted to catch some fish. Uh, and I did, but let me tell you how I had to, had to do it. Uh, first off, the lake that we got to uh, was dry except for one pool. And so you can imagine mud on the bottom of a lake when it's drained all out, but it's really, there's, there's really shallow water, and so the mud is saturated. And so I fished and I fished and I fished around the sides. Uh, Rex and I did, and we weren't catching anything. And we noticed that the other three guys that you see in this picture, 
were catching fish. And we were using the same stuff. But we noticed that they were in mud up to their thighs. And so Levi, that leg is straight down, by the way. It's not bent. He's not on his knees. Is out in the middle of this mud catching fish. So I knew that there was something that I could do to get out there. I couldn't see uh, the fish very well out there, but these guys told me that they were there. Now, I'd spent $18 on a fishing license. I don't like to spend money. And I wanted to catch some fish. I don't like cold water. This water is cold. I don't like mud really either when it's mixed with cold water. But I wanted to catch fish and so I rolled up my britches to my thighs and I took a step. Now, praise God that there was something that stopped your feet at the bottom of the mud. They were very sharp rocks. <clears throat> you ever stub your toe like, or, or smash your finger? Like The only thing worse than stubbing your toe or smashing your finger is doing it when your toe and your finger are really cold. So you step down in, and then the sharp rocks stop you. And I could see about, uh, about 50 feet off people catching fish. So I take another step and another one, and I'm almost to fall over, and it's cold, and then I get out there. Now, make uh, remember this. We had just hiked a 14,000-foot mountain the day before, so our joints, your joints are not working right. Your, your muscles are sore, and unless you're like this guy. One, one before that. There you go, that guy. Talk about philosophers. Look at that guy. He's just like philosophizing in the mountain. So if you're that guy, you're not sore because that's a mountain eater right there. Mike climbed the mountain with no big deal and wasn't sore the next day. But he didn't go fishing with us in the mud. So, <clears throat> so you're out there in the mud and there is danger, right? So one back from this, there is danger from falling over. Sam has hooked a trout and it looks like he's about to fall in the water. And I think he did at some point get up in the water in his chest in the mud. But that's where they were catching the fish. And so I continued to walk out there. And then when I got out there to that point, I flipped my little fly out there and let it go and Sure enough, I caught a fish. And then I caught another one, and only two. But it was like I did something difficult. I took the steps to do it, and it was uncomfortable. And then I got what I was after. Listen, sometimes when we take the first step to know God, it's really uncomfortable, it's not easy. God is awful deep, isn't he? His love 
is so deep and wide that we can't understand it. And we're worried about taking that first step. We don't know how it will work. We don't know what a relationship, what knowing God is like. But we must take that first step even though it's uncomfortable. And it seems unsafe. I didn't think that I wanted to uh, step out there where I could fall out off of the, or fall into the water and be completely wet with no shower sometimes, uh, or maybe most times following God seems a little unsafe. Our scripture tells us to take up a cross, to give up our lives. And this is what we're told, and it seems unsafe. Taking steps to know God can be painful as well. Sometimes it means we have to let go of old acquaintances or maybe giving up bad habits, releasing the control to God. It can be painful. But when you get to know God, when you learn to know Him, it will make sense why you worship Him. No more unknown God. God's word says that if you take a step towards knowing him, you will indeed find him. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 and 14 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me and I will be found by you says the Lord. Take a step towards God. I challenge you. Take that first step towards knowing Him, truly knowing Him, and see where He meets you. See what the result is. You see, the philosophers, they stopped listening often because uh, Paul's speaking was foolish talk, they thought. He's talking about a a dead man coming back to life. The philosophers who liked to to talk and to think thought that that was silly. My prayer is that if we are to know God, if we get to that point, then we will understand what worship truly is. And listen, if you know God and you go to a place and you see a bunch of folks who don't know God, don't you want to provide them with some insurance? Something that they can put their trust in. The one thing that they can put their trust in and be saved for eternal life. Now we know We know that the talk about Jesus coming back to life is not foolishness. We know that the salvation that he offers is true and is real. We know that our God can do the impossible. We're going to transition into this song now.
keep on your mind what God can do. Know Him from His Word. The God of the mountains and the God of the valley. The God who turns graves into gardens and seas into highways, bones into armies. Let's pray to that God right now. God, we pray to you, the only God. We pray to you and give thanks to you for giving us your son so that we could be saved from from death everlasting and be given life everlasting. Lord Jesus, we put our faith in you. Lord, we want to know you. You love us. You've told us this. And you want us to be with you. Lord, help us to take the steps every day that it requires to to not only be closer to you and to know you, but to help others know you as well. Lord, it's in your precious Son's name that we pray.